Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Celtics Beat Show. I'm your host, Cal Lee, and alongside of me, Warren Shaw, who also hosts The Baseline, powered by CLNS Radio. We have an awesome show for our Celtics Beat listeners this week. Man, awesome is an understatement. First time we get to host this show, and we get a a well-renowned NBA writer to join us, Nseku Smith of NBA.com. He's also a great podcaster as well. He does that with Lang Whitaker. Um, Can't wait to get to his comments about the league, the association, and some of his comments about the Boston Celtics as well. All right, so without further ado, let's get right into the Celtics beat overview. The big talk around town, myself uh, and my co-host, Warren Shaw, has obviously the fact that the schedule for the 2014-2015 season for the Boston Celtics has been released. And much has been talked about with regards to what do we expect from this team right out of the gates. We've seen some impressive uh, 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 showings of of play from guys that are coming out, uh, rookies like Marcus Smart. We have yet to see James Young. And so there's going to be a ton of question marks as Brad Stevens begins to mold and fit together what should be a formidable starting lineup. How formidable? Well, just take a look at what's going to happen to them in the schedule. Their first seven games are going to be playoff-based teams. Shaw, when you look at the dynamic of how this schedule has been put together already, What is the expectations if you're a Boston Celtics fan knowing that the first seven games that you're going to be playing is against playoff battle-tested teams, the first one being the Brooklyn Nets as, as their opening game? Well, it's very interesting that, you know, the Celtics get this kind of draw, if you will, you know, having to go through all these playoff worthy teams um, and even looking further down the schedule, they'll play the Cavs, who are probably going to be a playoff team this year and the Suns, who could have been a playoff team last year. So really, you know, in their first nine games, if you will, they're they're playing playoff level competition, at least from last year or, you know, definitely put teams that can make the playoffs this year. And I think they're in a very precarious situation. This could be the beginning of a, of a horrible start for them. You know, I remember last year, the Brad Stevens kind of commented on the January for the Boston Celtics where they were going to go through a rough stretch where they had to go on a West Coast trip. And, you know, he looked at that part of the schedule where that's being very, very tough. I think right out the gate, you know, they're going to be, you know, in, in, in a lot of trouble um, because all these teams, they're, they're very, very team. They're teams that, again, that could have made the playoffs or, or will make the playoffs this year. Um, and, and, you know, in, the, in that first nine, even that first seven, you know, it's going to be real, real tough for the Boston Celtics. You know, last year, when you take a look at what the what the Boston Celtics had done within the first five games, they lost four of their first five games. They lost to the Raptors, the Bucks, the Pistons, the Grizzlies. And really, with the exception of the Raptors and the Grizzlies, everyone else was not playoff was not was not were not playoff teams. And so now you're talking about true playoff teams that the Boston Celtics are going to be playing against. Now, one thing I will say is, and it was so evident last year, is that it wasn't that the Boston Celtics got blown out the water. The Boston Celtics could not score in the fourth quarter. Now, it isn't as if they went out and addressed that particular issue. But against playoff teams, they may not have a chance in the fourth quarter if they don't come out to play, you know, pl- uh, come out with their A game. So if, if you're Brad Stevens, Shaw, what would be the approach that you're going to take knowing that you want this team to walk away feeling good? What would be what would be a comparable, a reasonable uh, total out of that first nine games that you had alluded to for the Boston Celtics to feel like they're going to be within striking distance right at the outset for this Atlantic division? 
Well, man, that's a really tough question because, again, looking at the schedule, these aren't borderline playoff teams, too. I mean, these are really good teams. You know, Brooklyn, they're going to be retooled uh, with, with Brooke Lopez back in the fold. Obviously, they lost to Captain Paul Pierce, but, you know, Brooklyn's going to be back in there. With, they have a new head coach. Darren Williams is going to be ready to go trying to show prove things off. And that's the first opening game of the season. Then you got to go to Houston. Then you go into Dallas. Um, then you welcome Toronto Raptors, who are the Atlantic Division champions, mind you. The Pacers game, is that's going to be very intriguing because we don't know what Indiana's roster is going to be like um, start at the start of the season. They're obviously trying to move Roy Hibbert. So if they do something like that or change things up, you know, you might be able to catch them, especially playing them at home. Um, you have to play the Chicago Bulls on the road. You play the Thunder at home. You know, that's a tough one, too, even if, even if you're – at home, you're 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 welcoming the you're welcoming the the reigning MVP and Kevin Durant into the building, and then you have two home games against the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving, and then the Phoenix Suns. So you know, to answer the question in short, you know, I'm thinking maybe if you get three wins out of that, I think you've done pretty well. And I think Brad Stevens, what his main thing is going to be doing, trying to figure out a rotation because that's the biggest problem for the Celtics right now. Warren Shaw, Cal Lee, the CLNS Beat uh, Show on CLNS Radio, discussing the upcoming Boston Celtics schedule for the 2014-2015 season. Um, I'm really intrigued with Game 8. Uh, I'm sorry, not Game 8, but I'm really intrigued with the game that will be coming up in November when the Chicago Bulls take on the Boston Celtics. And, you know, when you look at that matchup, you know, a lot of people have to take into consideration that you're looking at two guys that were always mentioned in, in top-tier point guards, in Rajon Rondo and with Derrick Rose, both coming off of extreme injuries, uh, uh, season-ending injuries, and one having a better, you know, a better start uh, as far as maintaining health than the other. But a lot of people have been impressed with what Derrick Rose has been doing over the course of this summer and the expectations that the Chicago Bulls might be the only kryptonite to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So when I look at this dynamic of the Boston Celtics and their backcourt, one with the Rajon Rondo, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, and you got the dynamic of a Derrick Rose with a Jimmy Butler, and, and, and you got Tony Snell, and you know, I, I think that this is a great matchup, and I think it's a great game, depending on wherever the Boston Celtics are as far as record goes, for Brad Stevens to really gauge on the maturation level at the early outset when they play those Chicago Bulls. Well, the matchup between Rose and, and Rondo is going to be very intriguing just from that individual standpoint and the storylines that both of those players have, you know, associated with them because of the injuries. So, you know, I think we're going to be looking to see how that that plays itself out. Clearly, Chicago is a better team currently um, and, and, and their bench is, is a lot deeper right now in terms of, you know, being able to score. They address many of those needs. They're better defensively as well. Um, so, you know, the, trying to actually get a win in Chicago will be very interesting. And, you know, it might, it's going to be difficult. But I think definitely to your to your earlier point, you know, seeing what Rondo and Rose do against each other, you know, and how they how they even greet each other, how they play against each other, how hard they go at each other, you know, coming back after those, you know, those gruesome injuries that they've suffered. And I think that's going to be something really interesting and in that, you know, Boston Celtics fans can kind of take a look at, you know, where does Rondo match up against, you know, one of the elite point guards in the league. You know, and another thing that I also want to see as well, too, is how Marcus Smart matches up with some of these guys in the league. It isn't as if him now being a first-round pick, uh, that the idea is is that they're going to try to bring him in slowly just, be, just because they have Rajon Rondo. If if Brad Stevens, and, and I'm thinking Brad Stevens is going to roll the dice here, he may roll out a three-guard rotation. Marcus Smart has the build where he can even possibly play a small forward-like type position. And a lot of that is going to be raised on the question marks of what expectations they're going to get from that three position, whether it be through Evan Turner, who hopefully they will eventually sign, or Jeff Green, who's always a hit or miss. You could very well see a combination of Brad Stevens running out a very quick, a very agile, and a very defensive-intensive backcourt, especially with someone as, athletic, as, as athletically dynamic as uh, Derrick Rose. I, I'm really looking forward to how Brad Stevens is going to be able to match up against some against teams like that that have great backcourts like the Wizards, like the like the Nets, and like the Chicago Bulls. Well, I mean, I think that's a, a an issue that we'll definitely have to see as as training camp unfolds, and you know, in the early parts of the season. Again, obviously, talking about these earlier games, so he will be playing with rotation. You know, I think a, a, a three guard rotation of Bradley Rondo and and Smart is is extremely small. 
um, but it is extremely tough-minded as well. So you know, if you go you if you go with a lineup like that, you're not going with it for very very long. You're going with it to kind of give you a spark per se, hopefully, um, and then maybe turn the tide or turn the tide, you know, change change the the, the course of a quarter per se. Um, again, I think that'd be something very interesting to see if Stevens would able be able to run that out there. But all three of those guys are very tough-minded. Um, and again, I would I'd be interested to see if he would even you know have the balls if he will to try something like that. Yeah, and and listen it, again. This is what we're talking about. You know, I had, I had spoken about this uh, a while back on a, on a previous show with regards to Brad Stevens and whether or not Celtics fans are going to be able to exercise patience with Brad Stevens. But this is what you have when you have a young team and you have a young coach. Sometimes it's better to roll the dice so you have an idea of what exactly it is that you have and that you'll be working with. It would be one thing if we had a veteran-laden coach and then he's trying to tinker and, and, and mess with, really, the chemistry of a team uh, just out of, out of desperate hopes to get these guys to win because it's always important to get out to a good start. But this could actually be a good thing for the Celtics to play against these playoff teams in the beginning of the season, battle-tested, because as you play those teams later on, they are going to start, you know, their tank might be on empty. And as young as a team as the Boston Celtics could be, they could just be hitting their first stride. You play a team the first time, you know, you 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 find out how how good you are, and you may even able be able to find out the weaknesses of those other teams. You start playing them a few other times, and then now you begin to start closing in on that gap of how badly you probably lost the first time around. Well, you know what? You know, kind of, I kind of want to bring something up here. I think when you look at the, the youth of the Celtics and all the swingmen that they have on, on the team, you know, Stevens is going to be very challenged to try and again, to figure out what that rotation is going to be like. It's one thing if you're playing against, you know, some of the lesser teams in the NBA, but you're going up against, you know, top level competition, you know, playoff worthy teams to begin the season. Um, you know, you're, and you're probably going to get your butt kicked. So it depends if he kind of adopts that, that, that mantra and says, all right, well, you know what, I'm just going to try to tinker and figure it out right now versus these teams as opposed to having the luxury against, you know, worse teams that maybe are not as good, you might be able to try some things and maybe even get away with some things, um, you know, that, that you wouldn't ordinarily try. I think that's where he's going to have to really figure figure what's going on here because they just have too many swingmen right now, and I don't know how that rotation is going to shake itself out come the NBA season. All right. Let's go ahead and switch gears and further ourselves down through the schedule with the Celtics. December 5th, the Boston Celtics have the Los Angeles Lakers coming to the Garden. You know, listen – a few years ago, we would be salivating, and this might even actually be a game that should get pushed to the Christmas Day special for M- uh, for the NBA. However, this is two teams definitely um, on, on the opposite side of the spectrum as far as being mentioned as elite teams. You know, if you're a Celtics fan with this type of rivalry, what are your expectations? What, 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 what would you be looking for at watching these two teams play, even if they have a Kobe Bryant? Well, if it's the Boston Celtics and Lakers, I mean, you just, you always, Boston fans are always just going to want to beat LA no matter what. Don't care what the state of either team is. You just, you're going to want that W the best way. And if you can get it in an embarrassing way, even better. But, you know, I think the Lakers right now, they they might be in better shape than the Celtics. That's something that, you know, that's obviously very, very debatable. Um, and it depends on the health of Kobe Bryant for, for, for first and foremost for LA. Um, but that December 5th game is something that, you know, it's still going to have some intrigue. But as you've seen, as both of these teams have, have fallen off, um, they're no longer, you know, an, an NBA TNT game, if you will. Um, they're not even making it on ESPN. Um, I think their second game further down the schedule, I think that's an NBA TV game later in February. But Boston and, and, and L.A. Do, do not command a national audience that it did even, say, two or three years ago. And that's a shame. Yeah, I, 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 have, to, I have to agree with you there. You know, this is um, it's a different dynamic. And I think one good thing that will take place, though, is that we will really see what these teams look like within the first couple of months you know, before we're actually getting all verbered up. Because, you know, we could have actually bigger fish to fry. It could be an important game because it is the Lakers. But listen, the Atlantic division, again, is kind of wide open this year. And so we have to be cognizant. Um, You know, you have to, a person has to be cognizant as a team is watching this uh, season begin to unfold through the struggles. If they're within striking distance, they've got to make sure that they win the games that they need to win. So while it's on the docket, yes, important, no question. Rivalry, of course. Bragging rights all day, every day. But if, if, if Celtics fans have a realistic expectation about seeing this team improve, a lot of it has to be predicated first on what they're doing leading up to that particular game. Now, December the 7th is a marquee game in itself for Celtics fans. Why? Because the truth The truth 
is in Washington. He's not in Brooklyn. So he takes the the, the Boston Celtics. They take on the Washington Wizards. Um, what are what what would we be looking for? Because it's really going to be an awkward feeling seeing Paul Pierce in a Washington Wizards uniform. Yeah, I mean that's going to be strange in itself. And but I think having him come back last year, you know, in Brooklyn in a Brooklyn uniform was you know was that was as death to, 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 to his legacy or not his legacy per se, but to his time here, if you will, as, as there could be, it's like, all right, no, you really realize, okay, he's no longer with the Boston Celtics anymore. Um, and so, you know, him going to Brooklyn, you know, last year and now going to be in Washington this year, I think, yeah, it's still going to hold some special meaning and you'll still, you know, have, you know, some, I don't think you'll have any tears or whatever, but you definitely, you know, see some, you know, some longing looks, if you will. Um, but I think, you know, Pierce is, you know, kind of as a professional, he's gotten over it to a little, to some degree, he had his choices of, couple teams he could have went to this year he chose the Washington Wizards you know after they lost out on Ariza to Houston um and I think again a very interesting selection by him um you know so so Boston will they'll be all right you know I don't think this game will have the same emotion and all the things that were attached to it as it did last year when Pierce came back the first time and they're actually going to get a double dose of the truth because I think they they played December 7th in Boston and they played December 8th you know in Washington so in the home and home series all right and then now you know as we continue to, to further through that schedule January the 19th through the 28th, that's going to be their West Coast trip. Six games in which they'll have two back-to-backs. Um, tough, man. Really, really tough, especially with the traveling that's involved. That's going to be a really rough uh, 11 days for the Boston Celtics. Absolutely. Um, you're looking at teams playing like the Clippers. You're playing Doc Rivers and the Clippers. Um, you're going to play the Portland Trailblazers, the Denver Nuggets, Golden State Warriors, Utah Jazz, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, those are very, you know, the last two you could say are winnable games per se, but you know playing in Utah is never never a fun thing and never an easy thing for the Boston Celtics and Minnesota. Obviously, with Andrew Winkins and, and Zach Levine, you know they're going to be out there, you know, running all over the place. It should be a high high energy type game. So that West Coast trip is going to be, be very very tough for Boston. I mean, as it always is for any East Coast team, uh, you know, making that making that journey. But it starts off really ridiculous again with playing the Clippers, Blazers, Nuggets, and, and Golden State. Then it kind of like, Ease your foot off the gas, I guess, a little bit with the with the Utah Jazz and Minnesota Timberwolves to close it out. That's practically murderer's row right there. I mean, it it it's, it can literally break you. Um, watching, you know, a, a Boston Celtics team get ran out the court, ran out the building um, by any of those teams because they're just that capable. And it's not that the Boston Celtics are not um, are not at you know are not talented enough to be able to hang you know hold their own. But any West Coast trip always takes something out of you. Playing in a different time zone always takes something out of you. Always happens with the Boston Celtics. You know, it, it really comes down to how they prepare themselves for that trip. And I and I and again, that's another point that has to be looked at when assessing the Boston Celtics and their maturation process under Brad Stevens. Because it's going to be trips like these that will really dictate how some of these players are actually going to be able to perform under that scrutiny. If the expectation is they're going to take that next step and start actually being better, they got to get through those type of trips. And this West Coast trip is a monster one. Um, after the All-Star break, February the 20th, they got a mini West Coast trip. So, I mean, it's in essence, it's all within this small window that they're going to be living out there in the West Coast, man. Pack their bags. Tinseltown is calling them. Yeah, it, it's it's real, real tough going for, for Boston, um, especially in January and February. I think they went over for their last West Coast trip uh, last year. And I can't remember exactly. They might have squeaked out one win, but I think they went over five or over six on that trip last year. Um, and then, you know, to come right off the All-Star break, the extended All-Star break, mind you, um, which they'll have roughly, I think it's eight days off between games, you know, and Adam Silver's new NBA, making sure teams get well rested. Um, you know, I guess that's not the worst way you can start the trip. You know, if you have to start a West Coast trip, you've had eight days off. So you go out there for three more, three more games to start it off, um, I think, on February 20th. And, you know, they should be fresh and, you know, and they'll have as good a chance as any as, as winning some of those games later on. But definitely, as I said, it, it's, it's going to be real, real tight out there. Um, it's never easy when you're, when you're a young team and it's never easy when you're a young team, you know, making those long West Coast journeys. All right. A couple of points regarding the schedule that's been released for the Boston Celtics. 17 back-to-back games through the course of the schedule. Uh, clearly, they're going to have their work cut out for them. And then an interesting point regarding their ability to play on national television. They are only listed on three, I'm sorry, four, four games. Uh, the January 12th game against the New Orleans Pelicans, the January 14th game against the Atlanta Hawks on ESPN, 
the February 22nd game against the Lakers on NBA TV, and then the March 23rd game against the Nets on NBA TV. All the likelihood that in those in the major in the major markets uh, that'll be that'll be blacked out. So I don't even know if whether or not that would even be considered as a nationally televised type game. But you know, Shaw, there was a time when the Boston Celtics easily, maybe I would say, have six or seven games. Uh, etched in as a, in a national national televised game, had they had 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 Kevin Love come to Boston, how many games do you think the Boston Celtics would have had televised? Just an approximation. Um, I think they would have got maybe seven to eight, if you will, maybe something like that, simply because you know there is some intrigue and especially how he kind of trolled the city by coming visiting in the summertime and everything like that. They would have created some intrigue with that, and maybe definitely his game um, if he were in Boston, going back to Minnesota, that would have been something for the national audience to watch as well. You know, but by by most people's accounts, you know, NBA TV isn't isn't a national audience, so it's really they have one nationally televised game and that's january 14th versus the atlanta hawks on espn those other nba tv games again it's just you know hey whatever nba tv didn't have anything else to show so throw the celtics on there but can't you imagine that i mean they have a game with the lakers on the 22nd and that's not even considered a game worth watching as a nationally televised game how crazy is that the funnier point to that to me honestly is the lakers actually have 20 nationally televised games 20 of them and they didn't make the playoffs last year so they're really banking on the appeal of kobe being able to come back so ironically of of those 20 games neither of the games versus boston um are are, are one of the 20 that the lakers are going to be nationally televised on so i mean that to me is you know kind of really interesting and it really kind of show you where the boston celtics stand right now and where the nba sees the lakers and celtics rivalry right and what's so interesting is that they only had two more wins than the boston celtics the los <laughs> angeles lakers i you know it's just it, it's it's absolutely bananas but again this is what happens you win the games you get your fame all right shop so let's switch gears off from the schedule and let's kind of break down some of the other news and notes that's taking place with the with regards to the boston celtics in the offseason there was a poll recently released by espn predicting that the boston celtics would only amass 28 wins for the season, finishing in a 12th place finish. Are you buying into ESPN's analyst assessment that the Celtics can only amass 28 wins? Forget about even the 12th place finish because it's right around where they finished last season. I mean, I think it's about average to, to, I don't think they're way off base with that, especially when you look at how the Boston Celtics are going to start the year, you know, with all those tough games, um, you know, to start the season off against playoff playoff caliber teams, you know, that can really put a team in, in a rut to begin. And then even when you play a team that you're supposed to be, you just don't have that vibe. You just don't have that flow going in. You know, I think if they get to 28 wins, 32-ish, you know, as I think is probably maybe the top out for them, um, I think that's that's about fair. You know, unless something unforeseen happens, some other trade happens one way or the other, you know, it could you could end up being worse than the 28 wins, especially if you move Rondo. Um, or again, if you somehow were able to package some of these other guys and all these swing players and, and bring in, you know, a second tier star, if you will, then, you know, maybe up, up to 35-ish, maybe 40 wins per se. But I mean, that's really shooting way out the ballpark. And I don't think that's something that's going to happen. I wouldn't ho- I wouldn't have Boston Celtics fans get their hopes up for something like that. So I think ESPN is somewhere in the in the in the range right there. You know, 28 wins, 12th in the conference. I, I don't think that's way off basis. Yeah, I, I don't think it's way off basis. I like to be hopeful that the Boston Celtics can amass more than 28 wins, something within the 30-33 range, similar to what the New York Knicks did last season. Um, but let's be realistic. This team is still searching for themselves and they don't have all of the personnel necessary for them to have, you know, supplant a a, a firm grasp of what their identity is truly going to be. Brad Stevens is going to have his work cut out for him. And with that is going to come with the growing pains and the schedule is certainly not going to lend to make that an easier task than what it already is. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at another uh, another note that just came through uh, the wire with regards to the Boston Celtics. Kelly Olnick suffered an injury, not severe. However, he ha- he is playing with Team Canada and is supposed to be participating with Team Canada um, in the FIBA World Cup. If you're the Boston Celtics after Paul George and after the mess uh, and, and Kevin Durant walking, are you a little leery about having your boy Kelly Olnick playing for Team Canada? Um, I, I don't think so, simply because, you know, he, he left and the injury is supposed to be pretty minor. So he left and left them playing in Europe and was like, all right, whatever, I'm going to come back here and rest and, you know, talk to the team now. So I, I give him credit and I think the Celtics should kind of, you know, look at him and say, you know what, we trust you to do what you need to do. Um, and I think it'll be fine. You know, Olenek, I shouldn't have any, I don't think he should have any issues with the risk going forward at all. All right. And then 
Uh, interesting dilemma that is that is taking place with the with the Boston Celtics in regards to um, Brandon Bass. Uh, there have been so many rumors about the Celtics looking to move Brandon Bass. Obviously, he's um you know on, on an expiring deal. If you're if you're the Boston Celtics and if you're the Boston faithful, do you like the idea of moving a guy, a glue guy, one of those hard nosed guys that's always been there to help that front court in Brandon Bass? Well, he's on an expiring deal. Um, I think he can still contribute, you know, to the roster one way or the other, especially a roster that's devoid of, you know, true power forwards, if you will. Um, but if you move him, you have to get some value for him, you know, whether that's another pick. Um, I don't think anyone's going to be giving up any young talent per se for him. Um, I looked at, you know, look real quickly. I think the Mavs could have some interest. The Rockets could have some interest. I think the T-Wolves too, after they complete that trade, Thaddeus Young might be the only power forward on the Minnesota roster after that. So Bass could definitely go in there and fill a backup role for them. It's just a matter of what you, what you'd get back for. So Danny Ainge has his work cut out for him. But I mean, if they keep him, it's not bad. If they move him, they definitely just want to probably get some more draft picks or cash considerations for him. All right. And that was the Celtics beat overview coming up in a moment. Who's got game and who's got name? LeBron James or Steph Curry? One of the many questions that we'll sit down with our special guest, Sekou Smith. And then also, don't forget, we have Around the NBA in Five. All this on the Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Our interview with Sekou Smith is brought to you by the Boston Sports Connection. For all of your Boston sports talk, tune in every Tuesday evening on CLNS Radio with CLNS Content Manager, Sean Backey. We have an extraordinary guest joining the Celtic Beat Show this week. He writes and edits one of the most dynamic NBA sites, Sekou Smith's Hangtime blog, and also hosts the Hangtime podcast, analyst for NBA TV's The Beat, Grand Rapids-born, ATLian-spawn. Mr. Sekou Smith joins us on the Celtic Beat Show. Good afternoon, Mr. Smith. Good afternoon, fellas. How you doing? We're doing excellent, man. And, um, you know, first things first, uh, you know, I knew that uh, – you know, we were look. We were, we were definitely headed in the right direction with this off season, with the decisions being made, with free agency being at a frenzy. That the scheduling was going to be pristine and on point. And uh, you kind of hit it on the head when you tweeted out how excited you were and that you couldn't wait for the schedule to be released. And now that it's actually been released, uh, we were curious what what matchups do you are you really most forward um, that you're looking most forward to uh, with this upcoming season. Well, I got to admit, I was cheating a little bit. I knew the Christmas Day matchups. Um, I knew some of the highlights of the schedule. You you cheating? You cheating, Seku? Come on, man. No, never that, man. So, you know, I was kind of fired up, obviously, about the Christmas Day slate. Um, I'm one of those people who looks at Christmas Day as kind of that unofficial, you know, real unofficial kickoff to the season when everybody starts paying attention. Um, to the games that are going to be played. So that, for me, the Christmas Day games, all of them are fantastic matchups. Um, sure, you know, clearly you want to see whatever game it is, LeBron has to go back to Cleveland um, is always going to be, or I mean, go back to Miami, rather, is going to be interesting because of the way he departed this time, you know, the decision part two, I guess. Uh, but, it, you know, from the opening night games, you know, from from kicking off the season the way we will, to uh, everything up through All Star Weekend, it's just it's just a nonstop onslaught of of fantastic matchups, man. And I think Matt Winnick and whoever else it is at the NBA who's in charge of you know getting all this stuff situated and organized, um, they continue to do a fantastic job of of just making sure we have the perfect you know. Uh, drama and storylines to go along with the games. You know, I think, I think there's no question, you know, that if, if you're looking at things that you want to circle on your calendar, obviously Cavs and heat December 25th, you know, the Mavs and the Spurs October 28th, you know, early in the season is a great matchup of that first round, you know, rematch of that first round series, um, the bulls and Knicks that first, you know, first couple of days of the season, fantastic matchup. Um, the Clippers and the Warriors play on November 5th, and then they're going to play again uh, on Christmas night. You know, it'll be the nightcap for that Christmas Day slate at Staples Center. Uh, you know, that's one you got to look at. Um, and on and on. You know, it's just like I said, uh, nonstop. You can go through every week of the season and circle big-time matchups that you're going to want to sit back and watch. 
the early tip off, um, uh, the NBA opening tip off to me, uh, the the Cavs versus the New York Knicks. I, it, it's kind of remarkable because we know that the that the Cleveland Cavaliers fan base is going to be at an all time high. This is probably going to be the most raucous crowd that they'll ever have in franchise history with the <laughs> return of the King. And then for Phil Jackson, Derek Fisher, and those guys to be tested on opening night by playing against that kind of crowd. I mean, you really, you really will know what kind of team you're going to be working with moving forward, playing against LeBron James and this newly formed Cleveland Cavaliers team. Yeah, and we're going to know right away whether the Cavs are ready for prime time. You know, we're going to see if Kyrie and Kevin Love and these guys, you know, Kevin Love, for all that he's done, man, he's played on a team where there were non-existent expectations in Minnesota. He's going to be playing now in a spotlight where he's going to be expected to to bring it every night in, in ways that he hasn't really been used to. And that's not saying he's not capable of, you know, of handling it, but I mean, it's going to be a whole new ball game for him as well. All these guys who are you know, have changed destinations and playing in different places now, it's going to be some pressure cranked up on them. And I like that. I think that that's going to be something that really, you know, tests their metal before we get to the playoffs and they really get challenged. You know, you mentioned uh, the LA Clippers as, as part of the teams that you're looking forward to see dang, uh, after the weeks of the NBA schedule, you know, but they almost weren't even going to play, you know, obviously with all this, the Donald Sterling news and all the, the, the drama that was going on there. Now that the Clippers sale is finally, you know, done and completed, give me your thoughts on that process and the subsequent moves and transactions that are now going to take place as a result of Sterling finally being voted out. Well, I think the everybody is glad that the the Sterling nightmare is is you know basically over. Um, the sale to Steve Ballmer's been finalized. Um, Donald Sterling got shot down in court again, and he's obviously going to battle this thing all the way up to the highest court possible, the Supreme Court eventually, I would imagine, at some point. But Doc Rivers and the Clippers get to go back to work and, and get back to the business of basketball, which I think they felt like they left something on the, you know, on the floor last year. They didn't get a chance to fulfill what they thought their ultimate destiny might be. And to me, they're one of the teams, if you're looking for a team that can challenge San Antonio, um, for supremacy in the Western Conference. I think the two biggest challengers are the Clippers and Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think the Clippers come back with a year more experience in, in Doc Rivers' system, a year you know, of experience with each other, more familiar with how they're going to communicate and operate as a group. And that makes them really dangerous. The one thing that the Sterling Affair did is I think it kind of inhibited them from maybe doing more this summer in free agency and, and exploring what kind of options they might have had to tweak their roster and mess with, mess with their own chemistry a little bit in a good way. Um, so we'll see if they get stuff done at the trade deadline or, you know, leading into camp here, if there's anything else that goes on with them. But I think they feel like their window of opportunity is right now to chase a championship and, and you're going to see them go forward from day one. This is the Celtic Beat Show with Kyle Lee and Warren Shaw and our special guest, Sekou Smith. Be sure to follow him on the Twitter at Sekou Smith NBA. Um, Sekou, one of the interesting things that's taken place in this offseason is the movements with regards to the free agents, the uh, available free agents. And there's two particular free agents that had not been uh, discussed with a lot of Verber. Um, quite honestly, uh, Shaw and myself were very much surprised at the fact that it's taken up to this point before these guys are really now have made a decision on what they want to do. And the fact that they hadn't been talked about by most teams, and I'm speaking of Greg Monroe and Eric Bledsoe. Now it's been said that these guys are planning to take the qualifying offers, which is pretty much a one-year deal about 5.5 mil. And, um, you know, the question now becomes, you know, why wasn't there a, a bigger market um, as far as looking for these two type of players? And, you know, what What do you think may now turn out to be the, the situation for these two guys, especially with the kind of versatility that Monroe brings and that Eric Bledsoe brings to those prospective teams? Well, I think you got to understand that being restricted free agents, the market for those guys is not what it is for others, you know. And unless you have somebody willing to put a big offer sheet on the table the way Charlotte did for Gordon Hayward as a restricted free agent, you're pretty much locked into a system that, that doesn't play in your favor. Um, it plays in the team's favor for this one year. The beauty of it is if you play out on that qualifying offer this year and you hit free agency next summer, 
your your incumbent team basically has no shot of keeping you, and they know it, and they know that means they've screwed up more than likely. Um, I think Monroe is a guy who's really an acquired. You know, some people think he's a four. Some people think he's a five. You're not sure if he's hit his ceiling or if he's got room to grow. Um, he's a smart and productive player, but he, you know, he's not necessarily viewed as a game changer by a lot of people. And that, on the free agent market, you know, is is not something that lends itself to your cause. Um, I think Bledsoe is in a different position in that Bledsoe clearly wanted, uh, you know, a max type deal. And as a restricted free agent, it's very rare you're going to find that kind of opportunity out there when teams know that if they offer you that, the Phoenix Suns have the right to match and probably will match. So, you know, rather than tie your money up chasing him, I think a lot of teams felt like they'd move on and see what else was out there and, and hedge their bets that these guys would end up playing out the qualifying offer and being available next time. Well, Seiko, you know, I have an interesting, you know, follow-up question to that. And do you think that they, in a sense, overplayed their hand a little bit, especially, you know, after they saw a guy like Parsons or a guy like Hayward get, you know, those big deals? Do you think they were on the same level of talent that they maybe should have been respected as as, as such as some of those guys out there? Yeah, I, I would argue that Eric Bledsoe is a better and more valuable player than either Chandler Parsons or Gordon Hayward. But by virtue of the position he plays in the teams that were – you know, working with the available money to spend, they didn't need, a, you know, if you don't need a point guard, you know, that that kind of puts Eric Bledsoe off your radar. And I don't think it's anything about those guys over overplaying their hands or, or kind of assuming that they were more valuable than they were. It's just one of those things that, you know, by by predicament, you get stuck in a, in a horrible situation if you have a great, you know, couple of years here, your last two years of your rookie deal when you're waiting around to become a free agent, but you're restricted, you know, and throughout that entire time, you know, you, you're playing as a restricted free agent. It doesn't give you the leverage you'll have, obviously, when you become an unrestricted free agent. Well, now that those two big names are off the market, or, you know, presumably so by taking the qualifying <laughs> offer, do you see any remaining free agents out there that can help teams going into training camp? You know, we're a month and a half or so away from training camp. You know, do you see anybody else out there who can maybe help somebody that, you know, people who are kind of don't have on their radar currently? Well, I mean, I think he's on everybody's radar. Um, you know, the one guy that's out there that's, to me, <clears throat> excuse me, that becomes a, <clears throat> excuse me, a factor in a, a championship situation is Ray Allen. And a lot of people have assumed that he's going to join LeBron James, Mike Miller, and those guys in Cleveland. Um, I don't know, from what I understand, that that's necessarily the case. But he's a guy that, with his high level of experience, you know, playing obviously – all these years in the league, playing in Boston, playing in Miami, um, he's going to have an opportunity to come in and help somebody right away. And, and at a position of extreme importance, which is, a, you know, as a specialist, a scorer off the bench, but also a guy who gives you huge minutes, big shots, loads of experience, and, you know, tons of, of moxie, you know, talking about late game situations. You, you want, a Ray Allen added to your mix if you can make it happen. I think there are a lot of teams that are going to be out there sniffing around to see exactly what he wants to do and, and where he wants to do it. Celtic Beat Show with Kyle Lee and Warren Shaw and our special guest, uh, Siku Smith. Uh, be sure to follow him and the awesome blog that he has, Hang Time with Siku Smith. Him and his colleagues write awesome articles with reference to everything going on in the NBA. So be sure to check that out. Here is the biggest question I know Sean, I've been waiting to hear, especially from an expert such as yourself. It's been uh, in, in the in recent uh, articles that were uh, handed out. Uh, questions were asked to Steph Curry with regards to whether or not he believes that he is a, a, a better player than LeBron James, but let's preference it by saying better offensive player. So, of course, Steph Curry is not going to downplay his game, but he did <laughs> emphatically state that he believes that he is a better offensive player than LeBron James. Are you buying into Steph Curry being that dude that his game can actually ascend that of the Kings? Uh, I would argue that he's he can make a very compelling case that he's a better offensive player um, in terms of being a more dynamic offensive weapon than LeBron. Now, that, that means... You know, different things to different people. Obviously, I don't. I don't think this is even a question. I mean, I think it's foolish for anybody to debate whether he's a better all-around player than LeBron. That's not. 
that's not going to happen. Um, that's not going to happen within the span of Steph Curry's career. I don't care how old and <laughs> beat down LeBron gets. He's all, you know, LeBron plays both ends better than any player of his generation. Um, and that's just the, the fact of the matter, you know. Uh, but I do think Steph Curry, from a surely just a pure offensive perspective, is as good a weapon as there is in the league right now. When you consider the, you know, the way he shoots it from deep, the way he plays off the dribble, um, the inside out, the mid range, the, the distance he can shoot from, the fact that he can go to the rim and finish. And that's one of the underrated parts of his game to me is the way he attacks the basket and finishes around the rim. Um, I definitely think he could make that argument that he's a, he's a more dynamic and a better offensive weapon than LeBron or anybody else in the league. I'm not saying he'd win that case in court. I'm just saying he could go to court and make the case. Well, that's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice, nice way to take that, that, that question. <laughs> um, but speaking of LeBron, uh, LeBron and Carmelo Anthony both have dropped significant weight this summer, you know, pre- preparation for their new roles on their new teams or LeBron returning back home, if you will. Do you think either one of them, being less bulky, can hinder their strengths of their games? You know, LeBron has obviously been very, very powerful and attacking. Um, Carmelo kind of the same thing, playing a lot of the power forward in New York. Um, do you think these moves, you know, signify that they need to be strictly small forwards or is it going to hinder any, any of their games just by losing all that weight? Listen, I think for LeBron, it's, it makes perfect sense. He'd gotten so big and bulky in Miami, worrying about having to play in the post, and that became an issue. They didn't have a, a solid post presence in Miami, so therefore they felt like they needed to have LeBron go down there and play inside and out. Um, when the fact is, LeBron's never been comfortable playing in the paint. He's always been a facilitator and a guy who likes to play on the ball, on the perimeter. It, it, it's, it's only natural for him to want to get back to that, especially in a situation in Cleveland where he won't be asked to man the, the middle as much with Anderson Verishow and Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love if he gets in, all these other things that could go on. Um, I don't think it takes away from his game at all, being 10 or 15 pounds lighter. For Carmelo, I think it's even more important that he shed some of that weight um, so he doesn't break down physically throughout the course of the season. And that he can, you know, shoulder, it, it sounds weird for him to drop weight and then shoulder more responsibility. But that's really, I think, the best thing for him is to be able to, to get up and down the floor a little bit more with that new triangle offense they're going to be running in New York. And also, listen, these guys were the best of the best when they were 20 pounds lighter when they first came in the league. They were already all-star caliber players and among the best players in the league. 10 to 15 pounds here or there for these guys is not a big deal. I think if it was a situation where LeBron was going from 270 to 210, you know, trying to drop that much weight, then you'd look at it and wonder what's going on. But they're still going to look like monsters out there. They just won't be as big and bulky as we've seen them here in the recent years. But it also speaks to, you know, their age. He's got, you know, Carmelo's 29 going on 30. LeBron's getting up there. It's just a natural thing when you, as you get older, and your body settles more that these guys are going to get bigger and stronger and gain some of that, what I like to call old man strength. I think it's, it speaks to their genius as, as you know, high-level athletes and in, in the technology of the day that they're wise enough to look at the advances and understand that taking some pressure off of those joints and bones is going to, you know, help prolong not only the elite level of their career, but their careers in general. One more before we let you get out of here, man. I think, you know, those are some great points on both of those players and obviously elite small forwards in the game. Uh, but transitioning and even just kind of staying in the Eastern Conference, Indiana Pacers, obviously with the recent injury to Paul George, um, they're looking like a very different team coming into the season. Rumors are that they're shopping Roy Hibbert. What, are you, what do you make of all this, man? Do you think that the Pacers are giving up on, on Roy Hibbert? Do you think that they, you know, quote, unquote, might be tanking while Paul George is out this season? You know, give me your thoughts on what Indiana is going to be looking like coming into next season. Well, I mean, I... I'm surprised it took this long for it to get out that they were shopping Roy Hibbert. I mean, after watching him in the playoffs, I was, in my mind, I'm thinking they got to get rid of him, you know, no doubt this summer. And then all this different stuff happened. You know, Lance Stevenson doesn't come back as they expected. Uh, Obviously, the Paul George injury was devastating. And everything changes for them, you know, in the snap of a finger. Um, I, I think the Pacers still have what it takes to make the playoffs. But I think they're clearly going to drop from that level of teams 
that finishes in the top two or three in Eastern Conference. I don't think they can maintain that position without their two best players from last year, arguably, um, two of their highest scorers. And without Paul George, who is, to me, their unquestioned best player and really the catalyst for that team. So it's a it's a different animal for them now. They, You know, Larry Bird and his, and his front office crew are going to have to attack this in a different way and try and figure out how to, to tread water, really, as they go basically through the next two years without Paul George at full strength. I think it's going to be a couple of years before we see the, the Paul George we've grown accustomed to here in the last couple of years back in a Pacers uniform. And it's unfortunate. You know, you hate to see it happen to a, a young guy at this stage of his career. But uh, it is what it is, and the Pacers have to find a way to uh, to get past that and make sure that they remain in the playoff mix. And you don't want to go all the way out of that playoff mix because if you do, then it does become a situation where you have to start rebuilding and really retooling that team from the ground up. All right, Mr. Uh, Mr. Smith, obviously well knowledgeable and always giving us the butter goods of what we need to know with regards to the NBA. Before we let you go, though, we got to ask one Celtic question. Yeah, I was wondering I, if y'all were going to go a whole, I mean, I, seriously. I, I clearly, clearly, you know, we wanted to make sure that we get everything else we needed to know because this is about as good as it gets possibly for the Boston Celtics. But here is the question for you, Mr. Smith. The over-under, the Boston Celtics will amass 28 wins. Are you buying on the over or are you buying on the under that they'll have 28 more or 28 or less wins come the end of this season? And I, I don't like being Scrooge in August. You know what I'm saying? I hate, <laughs> I, I hate being the bearer of bad news in August. But that 28, is if that's the... Is that looking kind of paltry? I would hate to think that that's looking kind of paltry. I'd like to think that there's a little bit more confidence in the Boston Celtics this season. But... I don't know. I mean, if that's the Mason Dixon for the Celtics, <laughs> I'm figuring they're going to be on the, on the south side. You oh, know? man. Because I just don't know that there's... I don't know where the room is to grow for that group in an Eastern Conference that not only has shifted, but really been strengthened by LeBron's move to Cleveland. You know, now you take a Miami team that's still going to be there. Um, Cleveland becomes a playoff team automatically, you know, with LeBron's addition and Kevin Love's addition. That's pushing more teams down. You know, the Knicks might not be in the playoff mix. Um, There's some other teams. Brooklyn could struggle to stay in that top eight. And then you get down to that other, you know, that seller group. And I'm I'm here to tell you, I love the young assemblage of talent. I really do. I like the young pieces they're putting together. But I'm not sure that Celtics group is ready to win more than 25 games. Um, unless we see some lights out play from some of you those know, young guys. You know, we got to see some, you know, some young guys step up and play big roles. And then we got to see Jeff Green. To me, the one guy who's really got to become a consistent Knockdown player, night in, night out. I mean, I don't. I mean, he's got to be six, sixteen to twenty points a night, every night. Not the twenty-five and then the five is Jeff Green. You got to get consistent, high-level production from Jeff Green if he's going to be the player that I think his talents, you know, suggest he should be. Wow, that's um, that's pretty much what a lot of people are are really kind of looking forward to. Aside from you know what their expectations are going to be with Marcus Smart. Um, and James Young, who obviously didn't participate through the course of the summer due to his injury. But I think the big question mark is going to be Jeff Green. I, I think a lot of people, you know, are are getting a little leery of of watching, you know, you know, spurts of of, of greatness within within this game. And, and it hasn't translated when he was in OKC and it's yet to have translated here in Boston. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, it, we, we talk about Rajon Rondo and we, we talk about you know, Danny Ainge and, and, and this new and this rebuilding process with Brad Stevens. But I think a lot of it really comes down to, you know, you made the commitment with Jeff Green. You made the commitment with A.B. Bradley. These guys now, they've been in the system. They've been in the culture for a few years. And I think a lot of fans want to see the best of these guys now in the now rather than waiting later on. Uh, Seku, it's really, really been a privilege and honor to have you jump on the Celtics Beat Show. We hope that this is not the last time as myself and Warren Shaw were just, you know, now we're, we're geeked up, ready for this uh, for this season. And we still got another month and a half to go before things start really moving forward. No doubt, man. I appreciate it. And um, let's talk again when, when we get close to the trade deadline and we got to figure out what the Celtics are going to do with Rajon Rondo. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> that oh, definitely. Yeah. Guys <laughs> dropping nuggets on us right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas, I appreciate it. And that was Seku Smith for TNT, uh, NBA senior analyst. And, you know, Warren, one of the things that's interesting when you talk with someone who is as knowledgeable as Seku Smith is he brings a, a perspective that I think at times we tend to take for granted. It, it's not a question of whether or not it's expected for him to find that information. It's really a, a, a culmination of how much he's learned through the course of this season, through the course of the offseason, and, and really from what him and his contemporaries often are discussing with regards to a lot of these players. And, you know, it was really interesting um, how he brought it to the forefront uh, with regards to the scheduling that's in place. You know, you look at how this thing is playing itself out and, you know, we can scrutinize it as much as we want. We may not even like a good number of the games, but, the, you know, the Adam Silver and, and, and the committee, the people who put the schedule together may have probably gotten this right with so many storylines that have still yet to be answered. Yeah, well, Seku is a guy who's been regularly plugged in. Um, he's worked his way up for sure. You know, in, in the in the NBA process, and you know, being on TV on a regular basis, and he's definitely, yeah, he just he knows what he knows what he's doing and know what he's talking about, and his thoughts on the schedule, I think, were great. I think his analogy talking about the Christmas Day games is the times where and everybody starts to pay attention, if you will, to the NBA. Yes, obviously, the season begins in late October, but you know, people start to really dig in on Christmas because no other sports are usually typically being played on that specific day, and the NBA usually does a great job of taking center stage with that. So I think you know that was great for him to kind of point to that, and even some of the. Clippers matchups, which he talked about too, you know, the Clippers and Golden State Warriors, all that bad blood that they have going on between them. But, you know, also when he started to talk about, you know, the Clippers sale, you know, and, and, and what that what that's going to look like and how he also said that the Clippers were one of the top three teams in the Western Conference and could challenge, you know, the San Antonio Spurs for the Western Conference title. Yeah, I think that when we look at how this Los Angeles Clippers team is structured, you know, Sekou had mentioned that this team has a year under Doc Rivers system. And that, I think, bodes well for a team that is young. You know, we didn't have, um, as us as viewers, we didn't have a luxury of talking about what Doc Rivers could do with a Boston Celtics team that was young when he, when he made that championship run. This team was put together to be a veteran-laden team with a desire to win a championship. And out the gate, the Los Angeles Clippers put themselves in a position to be in the semifinals. So this is a Los Angeles Clippers team that Seku was alluding to that they're going to be a very dangerous team not to be counted out. Now, by no stretch of the imagination, should we look at them as being a team that's going to be stagnant because once you're playing under Doc Rivers' system, the expectation is, is that you should be able to improve upon what you did in the previous season. Absolutely. You know, this is a team that, you know, should could have very well went to the conference finals, you know, that things didn't go, go a certain way. And, you know, in, in, in the game versus OKC, where uh, the referees and all those things were gotten gotten involved, you know, and the Clippers, um, ironically enough, you know, with the whole Donald Sterling incident, Doc Rivers came out and said point blank, like, listen, it hindered us from actually getting better this summer. He said teams and players weren't willing to talk to us on a regular basis. And, you know, I think that's I think, I think that's an amazing statement. But the fact that the Clippers were still able to kind of do the things that they needed to do, obviously getting a Spencer Halls and re-signing Big Baby, um, I think they're still going to be very, very, very good going into the into the next season. And then when you take into account a former Clipper, um, Eric Bledsoe, as, as a restricted free agent, which was kind of our next question with Sekou Smith, you know, and, and, and the unfortunate situation with Bledsoe <clears throat> and even Greg Monroe, how they were unable to kind of get the deals that they thought that they deserved this summer, I thought he made some very great points on them, especially just saying that, hey, they kind of just fell victim to the to the system, if you will, it has nothing to do with their actual talent. It just had, had to do with the fact that they just got kind of, kind of, kind of got caught out there at the wrong time. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the final points, I, and obviously we, we needed to make sure that the question is being asked about the outlook and the future of the Boston Celtics. And while we're talking about a lot of it being made about Rajon Rondo, this really does come down to that if the Celtics had not figured out a way to move Jeff Green, it really it really does come down to which Jeff Green is going to show up this season because clearly the Celtics cannot afford to have what Jeff Green did last season while he showed glimpses of being a, a, a an elite athlete on that court. He did show that he is very inconsistent and at times can really disappear through courses of the season. Yeah, people know who Jeff Green is right now. I think that's what it boils down to. 
you know, wanting or requesting him to be more than he is. I just think, you know, at this point, it's, 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 it's almost a lost cause, if you will. Jeff Green is not going to be a guy who's going to give you 20, 22 points a game and seven, eight rebounds on a consistent basis. He's, he's just, that's just not who he is. Um, and, and I think at this point, you know, Boston Celtics fans really need to kind of understand that and say, okay, you know, well, either we're going to move forward with knowing that he's going to be inconsistent or we you know we're going to move on without him. You know, so I think, you know, you, you say close point to that, you know, definitely when he said he wanted to come back on later on and talk about, you know, potential Rondo trades, you know, he was, I think he was baiting us, trolling us a little bit there. Um, but definitely he's a guy who's in the know. So, you know, you, you don't mind that from a guy like that. All right. Well, we here at the Celtic beat show are just elated to have had Siku Smith uh, to join us on the Celtic beat program. And uh, we look forward to being able to have him back on again in the future as we get closer to the season. Time now for Around the NBA in Five. All right, Shaw, are you ready to go around the NBA in five? Absolutely, man. Let's go. All right. The Sacramento Kings signed the first Indian-born player in Simbular, 7-5 Bohemian. Remember, we saw him out in the summer league and pretty much crushed the little mini hands of Andrew Wiggins. What are your impressions? Is this a PR move by the Kings? I don't think it's a PR move. I think they're looking at him as a, as a realistic person that they can bring into their to their rotation potentially, probably developing the D League. You know, this um, oh, sorry, over in the fall semester. Um, but he's 360 pounds. I don't know if you saw the picture where he was, you know, posed right next to Demarcus Cousins. Um, he he dwarfed DMC. You know, something serious. So I think I think this is a move that you know the Sacramento Kings are definitely looking to try to improve to improve their basketball team. Nothing had nothing to do with PR at all. Yeah, definitely a long term project. I, I do think that in some way there's a little PR in it because he's the first Indian born player. Remember, the Sacramento Kings signed Om- Omri Caspi, and he was the first Israeli born player. So this is nothing new to them. They like to experiment. They like to you know take uh, take on those long term projects. And it'd be interesting to see. The guy has a soft touch at the basket. If he can develop his game they could really have a solid front court move Demarcus back to that power forward position they really got something going on there uh, the outstanding points there out in Indiana Paul George had his first press conference since the horrific injury he suffered after the team USA basketball a scrimmage uh made some some poignant comments out there no no timetable for his return doesn't blame USA basketball you know you know what do you think about the Paul George situation Well, I think Paul George is handling it as best as any player should be able to handle it. Look, this guy has suffered a horrific injury. He's missing out on a season, missing out on a window where he could actually still take his team to uh, uh, to an NBA Finals, given the the shift in the in the Eastern Conference. So I I can understand his frustrations and that he's not willing to go any further in Eastern. I think he needs to keep it that way just to preserve any kind of pressure for him to make any kind of comeback sooner than when he needs to. Well, yeah, you know, I was a little bit surprised that he said that he was still holding out a glimmer of hope to actually come back this season. But I just think that's fool's gold. He needs to go ahead and rest up. He thanked everybody he possibly could. And again, I think it's very important to notice that, again, he's willing to come back to USA Basketball if necessary. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then it pulls up with uh, Floyd Mayweather is not a bad thing either. Out (laughs) out in Team USA is wearing patches on their exhibition games to honor injured teammate Paul George. And then DeMarcus Cousins also suffers a knee. What is going on with Team USA? USA basketball Rudy Gay impressing people at the practices it's absolute mayhem with team USA basketball Shaw very interesting stuff out there you know and it's ironic that USA will wear the patches I think they asked Larry Bird if the Pacer would wear the patches and he were like he didn't die so there's not a chance you know that's old school Bird there especially for us the Celtics fans are you know listening in Um, but for DMC you know he said he's not really really hurt you know it's just kind of precautionary thing I think he tweeted out that he's fine but definitely was a minor minor injury scare there with his knee and with Rudy Gay he, he might be moving ahead of Chandler Parsons and Gordon Hayward so you never really know what's going on with that yeah I I I like the fact that Team USA has a sense of of, um, camaraderie with wearing the patches again nobody wants to see an injury like that especially happening to one of their own teammates Um, the DMC thing again man it just raises more questions about you know franchise guys volunteering to play USA basketball and it was even brought up to you know to the point that you know this has to be looked at because these guys are not getting paid you know, they're doing this on their own volition. And so something probably is going to need to be addressed with that. Rudy Gay impressing people. It's about damn time. If you're talking about Rudy Gay, this guy has been flying under the radar. And it's, it's about time now he actually steps up to the plate and starts earning his worth. And this might actually be what springboards him to being part of that guy we used to talk about when he was coming out of Connecticut. Absolutely, man. And staying with the Team USA team, if you will, Steph Curry, um, who was obviously on that roster, 
he made a very interesting comment that seems to be a trend that is going on in the NBA. He said he's given some thought about playing at home in Charlotte. You know, what do you think about that, man? What's going on? Everybody wants to go home. Yeah, man. I, well, you know what? I like Steph Curry mentioning this because Steph Curry is talking about a team, um, a, a, a city that really has been longing to be successful. I mean, we haven't talked about the Charlotte Hornets in the same breath of, a, of potential greatness when they had Alonzo Mourning, Del Curry, Larry, Grandma Johnson. I mean, they had a team, man. It, it, it's unfortunate that they couldn't stay together for us to really see what, the, what kind of damage they could possibly do. I like the idea that Steph is mentioning that, and I like that the fact that these guys mentioned that they always want to come home to play, you know, for their cities, especially those small market teams that are so desperately, you know, in need of a superstar. Well, that situation is even a little bit more ridiculous. He's three years still on his deal. So, you know, we were talking about Durant earlier in the summer. You know, I think he's, his deal is up next summer. Um, but, you know, two years rather. Curry's got a whole extra year on his thing going on. So it's a little bit, bit premature, but it is what it is. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't mind if he went back home, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Chuck Dietz, Astravex, and Steph Legato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. And you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. Like to thank our guest, Sekou Smith, for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Warren Shaw. I'm Cal Lee. See you next Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time for another edition of Celtics beat exclusively on CLNS radio.